0: Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity.
1: And welcome, everyone, to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. As soon as we're done recording, Jim is headed off on spring break, so if he uh, starts talking about the beach uh, in the middle of a political response, (laughs) you'll understand why. Jim, thanks for hanging in there for a few more minutes.
0: Huh? What <laughs> right. No, I am I am fully attentive, Greg, but uh I'm just letting letting listeners know after that. Also, if you happen to be driving on I ninety five South this afternoon, say in the states of Virginia, North Carolina, and South Carolina, get out of the left lane, please. <laughs> Particularly if you're driving a tractor trailer. <laughs>
1: They do tend to pile up, particularly in Virginia. But uh, anyway, let's uh, get you on the road here and get our listeners the martinis they need to close out the week. Let's start with our good martini, Wall Street Journal. Jim, the deputy attorney general, says the actual attorney generals really doing a good job here. Rod Rosenstein, who the Democrats and the media seem to think has credibility because he's been critical of Trump at times. Uh, means that uh, the words that he carries now as it relates to Bill Barr carry some extra weight. The Wall Street Journal reports Rosenstein is saying, quote, he's being as forthcoming as he can about the Mueller report and what's in it. And so this notion that he's trying to mislead people, I think, is just completely bizarre, Mr. Rosenstein said. Mr. Barr is under intense pressure to quickly produce the edited report amid concerns from Democrats that the Attorney General, a longtime advocate of Executive Branch Authority, is seeking to protect the president from politically damaging information the report may contain. Their worries were heightened after reports that some investigators on Mr. Mueller's team had told associates in recent days that they believe the report is more critical of Mr. Trump on the obstruction issue than Mr. Barr indicated in his summary. Mr. Rosenstein would not say why Mr. Mueller rendered no conclusion on that critical question. Quote, It would be one thing if you put out a letter and said, I'm not going to give you the report, Rosenstein said. What he said is, look, it's going to take a while to process the report. In the meantime, people really want to know what's in it. I'm going to give you the top line conclusions. That's all he was trying to do. So, Jim, what's the reaction going to be here? That Rod Rosenstein is also a Trump stooge or is this going to have some people at least back off a little on Bill Barr and his timetable?
0: I'm sure there will be some corners of Twitter that will conclude well, clearly the Russians got to Rosenstein. Um, <laughs> but I think the more, sorry, ever since the Barr letter came out, we, we knew that it had to be at least a reasonably accurate summary of Mueller's report and the conclusions therein. Um, but, you know, it, it was a four-page letter. There was a, you know, we're now hearing between 300 and 400 pages and closer to 400-page report. There was probably going to be some stuff in it that was not flattering to the president. And the question would be, you know, did Barr, uh, were, were some of these judgment calls, did he downplay something, did he give the, the Democrats in Congress any stick to hit him with to say, hey, you know, the report mentions X, Y, and Z, and you didn't put this in the summary letter, you know, and things like that. You know, is, was there anything in there to give them at least a little bit of fodder for a, this is all a cover-up, uh, you know, Barr is a partisan stooge um, narrative? And I, you know, hearing this from Rosenstein is reassuring. Rosenstein allegedly was willing to wear a wire, according to some of the stories going around. I know he's necessarily denied that. But, you know, Rosenstein is not a partisan hack. He was seen as uh, the, the reliable guy, the trustworthy guy, the guy Democrats had no reason to uh, really have a beef with. And so if he's coming out and saying, no, no, this is an accurate summary, then that's a pretty darn good sign. Um, now, I'm sure there'll be some Democrats out there who will you know, still be committed to this. Oh, this is all grand cover up narrative and things like that. Um, we will know more when the report comes out. Apparently, it's coming out next week. As you mentioned, Greg, I won't be here. So you guys will have to discuss this amongst yourselves. But you know, my suspicion is we will see you know, people. You know, some people will take the time to read through the nearly 400 pages and they'll come to similar conclusions. Some will say, oh, Mueller mentioned this about obstruction of and justice and that and that looks bad for the president. Um, the Mueller report did not say he was totally exonerated. It was the president who started singing those praises. Um, there may be some stuff in there that you know, portrays the president in a, in a not very flattering light, but it was not enough to lead to criminal charges, uh, or at the very least, uh, um, Mueller chose not to make reach a conclusion on that. He put it in the hands of Barr and Rosenstein, and they themselves both agreed that whatever was going on, it was not a good option for prosecution. Uh, also, just the other comment about the redactions, you know, there's from the beginning, there's been this kind of, you know, murmuring on, on among some congressional Democrats and particularly the fever swamps of the Twitter that this redaction process was something sinister. You know, they're going to black out all the really bad stuff for Trump or something like that. Um, again, from Rosenstein comments, no, indi- no, no reason to think this is the case, that everything they're going through, they're removing is grand jury testimony uh, or involves other prosecutions or involves national security interests or some other Really good reason. So, yeah, generally reassuring. We'll get it next week. Uh, I don't expect that the Mueller report will end up being uh, a bombshell that uh, Barr had, you know, not honestly characterized in any way. Wow.
1: I'm only here the first two days next week, so our replacements are going to have to dissect that (laughs) unless it happens Monday or Tuesday. But uh, I think there is going to be stuff uh, for the Democrats to uh, point to. Uh, The fact that there was quite a bit of disagreement or at least competing evidence on the obstruction issue means there's going to be something that the Democrats are going to be uh, chirping about a lot in the the coming weeks here. But uh, the ultimate conclusion from both Barr and Rosenstein was that it did not amount to uh, criminal charges, as you said. So, on to our bad martini now, Jim, and we never like it when uh, Republicans are fighting, particularly ones that are uh, used to being in the good martini, but uh, nonetheless, here we are. The Hill. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is publicly signaling to President Trump not to pick former Virginia Attorney General Ken Cuccinelli to lead the Department of Homeland Security. I'll do this in my best McConnell voice. Quote, I've not spoken to him about any of them. I've expressed my shall I say, lack of enthusiasm for one of them, Ken Cuccinelli. McConnell told reporters during a pen-and-pad briefing in the Capitol on Thursday, Cuccinelli, the president of the Senate Conservatives Fund, has been floated as a successor to DHS Secretary Kirsten Nielsen, whose exit Trump announced on Sunday. The conservative group has battled with McConnell and his allies in GOP Senate primaries, including backing Tea Party challenger Matt Bevin in McConnell's 2014 re-election race. In addition to Cuccinelli, former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach and acting DHS Secretary Kevin McAleenan are also reportedly in the mix to succeed Nielsen on a permanent basis. So, Jim, uh, you and I living in Virginia, we pretty much love Ken Cuccinelli. He was a great state attorney general. We really, really, really wish he had been elected instead of Terry McAuliffe as governor in 2013. He's a rock rib conservative. He's not crazy, Chris Kobach, I'm not sure we can say the same thing about, and that would be a really ugly confirmation fight. It's, it's clear why McConnell hates Cuccinelli. He's got good reasons because uh, Cuccinelli has deemed many of McConnell's friends, including McConnell himself, as not conservative enough to be the Republicans uh, serving in the U.S. Senate. So we know why there's tension there, but to let that become the reason why a really good choice potentially for this job gets kicked to the curb is not okay.
0: Yeah, so it's intriguing that uh, the example of Matt Bevin gets cited. Matt Bevin is currently the governor of Kentucky. Uh, Matt Bevin ran against Mitch McConnell and said that he was an establishment, that he'd sold out, that he'd gone soft in Washington, yada, yada, yada. Um, McConnell wins the primary, pretty handily if I remember correctly, and then Bevin chooses to run for governor, and he wins the nomination, and all of a sudden you have a Republican gubernatorial candidate who has utterly denounced his state's senior senator, um, in a, you know, pretty, you know, pretty incendiary, pretty, pretty tough manner. Uh, and the question was, how are these two going to be able to get along? Since traditionally you like to have your senior Senator and your governor on good terms. And the great iron is they buried the hatchet and got along great. And I think one of my favorite, I've never been able to find the full video, Greg, but apparently at one of the equivalent of the, um, uh, the white house correspondence dinner for the Kentucky press corps for, for you know, some sort of event, Um, then governor, Matt Bedman, who'd been governor for about a year and had such a good relationship with Mitch McConnell. Um, he did this little parody video in which he was running around the entire day wearing this, I love Mitch McConnell t-shirt. And he does all these things and everyone laughs and all that stuff. And then finally his wife makes a cameo and says, honey, it's come on. you've been wearing it for like every day for three weeks. It's time to take it off. He says, fine. He takes it off. And, of course, he's wearing the exact same T-shirt underneath. So he's been wearing two I Love Mitch McConnell. So the point being that Mitch McConnell can bury the hatchet and end up having good, productive working relationships with people he's been in bad relationships, you, know, you know, been in tough fights with before. This would be a good time to see that manifest itself again, because as I keep arguing with people when they don't like uh, Trump cabinet nominees. Look, we're not looking you, you can't wish for uh, uh, you know, the, the, the perfect candidate. We're looking for the best candidate that Trump is willing to pick, who's willing to work in this administration. And obviously, because you see how often working in this administration does not work out well for people um president you know trump will castigate them on twitter like with sessions uh, he'll undercut them and, and counter their decisions and throw them under the bus like we saw with devoc this happened you know y- you got to take the best of what you can get <laughs> and i think it's safe to say right now ken cuccinelli is probably among the best options they have at the department of homeland security uh besides the reasons you mentioned earlier about the reasons we like him first of all i've always said that if you if you're on death row or if you are facing very serious charges ken cuccinelli is who you want I remember when that gubernatorial race, Cuccinelli was not as naturally charismatic as uh, Bob McDonnell. I guess you could say he wasn't gifted that way. <laughs> um, you know, that, that, that there were times people kind of, you know, came across, uh, he could come across as a bit of a cold fish or something like that. But I think, or maybe the better way of just race, he, a little bit of lieutenant commander data to him. Um, <laughs> Cuccinelli knows his stuff backwards and forwards, smartest guy in the room, and a really good lawyer. Uh, I think my favorite in, you know, his debate of the state attorney general was de- when he was running for state attorney general. was a uh, his, you know, he, you know each one got to ask the question of his rival. And, you know, the, uh, the Democratic question was some variation of, aren't you an extremist? You know, he said, please name the state attorney general's uh, offices and their particular duties. And the opponent stammered his way through Clilico. He hadn't done the homework. And Ken Cuccinelli does. So um that's why i think he would probably be a good choice he's professional he knows what he's doing uh and let's face it in this administration that's not always what you're going to get sometimes you're going to get to you know somebody who's uh uh not particularly qualified for the job or not reassured or something like that so um look cocaine mitch uh it, you know this might this might be the best option you got um so i, I hope he, he is able to rethink this uh otherwise you could be having you know. Potentially skilled managers in in an administration that is not full of people who have experience managing things Um, It would bring a certain professionalism to it and a certain, you know, um, again, you just want the best people you can in these offices. And it seems like the idea of letting a letting a a dispute from years ago uh, tank this does not sound like a good decision making.
1: On to our final martini now and back to the Attorney General, Bill Barr. This time we're talking about his testimony before the Senate Appropriations Committee on Wednesday. He was supposedly there to talk about Justice Department budgeting, but of course nobody was asking him about that. Uh, they were talking about when you're going to release the Mueller report, when you're going to release all of it to Congress, and then uh, he was talking about his decision to launch an investigation into how the Trump-Russia investigation got started in the first place, and so he used the term spying. He says spying did occur, uh, and that's a big deal when it happens on a presidential campaign, and of course the Democrats are flipping out. Uh, a couple different people here. First of all, on CNN, here is former Director of National Intelligence James Clapper
0: Well, I thought it was uh in one, both stunning and 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 scary. Uh, I was uh amazed at that and and rather disappointed that uh, the Attorney General would say such a thing that you know the term spying uh, has all kinds of negative connotations, and uh, i i I have to believe he he chose that term uh uh deliberately.
1: Yes, I'm sure he did choose it deliberately. And then here's Clapper later just spewing nonsense.
0: I think it would have been far more appropriate for him to just defer to that investigation uh, rather than uh, postulating with apparently no evidence. He just has a a feeling that uh, there was spying against the uh, campaign.
1: He's referring to the Justice Department uh, Inspector General Investigation. But since we know about the FISA warrants, uh, it's not just random speculation. But here's our favorite one, and this is more recent. Former FBI Director James Comey, very upset about this.
0: With respect to Barr's comments, I really don't know what he's talking about when he talks about spying on the campaign. It's concerning because the FBI and the Department of Justice conduct court-ordered electronic surveillance I have never
1: thought of that as spying. Have you noticed the declarative sentences that end up as interrogative sentences? It's very interesting there with Jim Comey. Uh, So all the vapors, Jim. All the vapors about the spying. Uh, Here's my conversation yesterday with your colleague, Andy McCarthy.
0: As a prosecutor for 20 years, uh, in my cases, the government informants were always called spies by the defense lawyers, and we always called them informants. (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) they always called them snitches. And we always called them witnesses for the state, you know, Um, and nobody in the jury fainted when any of these terms were used.
1: So what do you make of all these uh, folks from the relative agencies that launched this investigation being just shocked and
0: outraged at that terminology? I I suppose spying is sort of in the eye of the beholder. I do remember this taking listeners way back uh, early 2001, before the 9-11 attacks, early in the presidency of George W. Bush. Uh, when the U.S. had a what we called a surveillance plane <laughs> that flew along the uh, uh, border of, of the airspace of China, uh-huh. it encountered trouble, landed at a Chinese base, and there was a you know negotiations and kind of bit of tension there about whether we were going to get our air crew back. And we kept, you know, you know the news report said an American spy plane, and they said no, 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 this is a surveillance plane. I do believe Comey is starting to reach the point, Greg. Uh, where it's if you if you're not dangling from the ceiling like Tom Cruise in the Mission Impossible movies, <laughs> it doesn't qualify as spying. Look, you know what would you call you know listening into someone's phone calls and sending people to ask them questions under false pretenses? And what well, you know, if that's not spy? You know, first of all, the, kind of the implication of this is well, you can only really spy on someone in the international context. You know, if it's if it's Americans you know trying to learn more about other americans it's just surveillance it's just fun you know look whatever you want to call it the, the what Barr wants to get to is you know, was it proper was it justified was it based up upon sufficient evidence to say okay there there could be something involving the russian government here that is uh a, you know, malevolent, sinister, an effort to manipulate the American political process. And it's impossible. It, it is possible that it was. It's also possible that it's not and that this was driven by, you know, uh, partisan passions or a just knee jerk, reflexive suspicion of of, uh, uh, of Donald Trump. One of the things that, you know, kind of became people started murmuring after the, the Mueller report came out. Remember Carter Page? who yes. was kind of at the heart of all this and, and by the way greg i, I realize I've, I've picked up james comey's up voice <laughs> that, you know right remember carter page except that is a question so it's okay to but carter page was the guy who you know and i remember at some point he did an interview i believe on, it was on msnbc i want to say it was chris hayes i could be wrong um it was some version where he basically was just blurting everything out and hayes is like are you are you sure you don't want to have a lawyer present? You, you probably, you know, you're speaking like a man who's not afraid of being indicted and the investigation is complete and Carter Page has not been indicted. Um, You know, maybe Carter Page has a very bad judgment in who he hangs out with and his views on Russia are, are naively, you know, optimistic about Putin's, you know, like, you know, being a fool is not against the law. And, you know, so we will see how this shakes out. But, you know, again, it this this sudden insistence of spying. <laughs> this wasn't spying at all. It was merely court ordered electronic surveillance um, <laughs> is certainly going to be. It's a, It certainly is raising eyebrows about how adamant people are that the word spying is completely out of line here when you're secretly trying to learn more information about people.
1: <laughs> On that note, Jim,
0: hope the car's packed. Hit the road. Fill the tank. Good luck. Be safe. Uh, looking forward to that, Greg. Looking forward to you have a, a good, uh, happy Easter. Everyone else out there, enjoy your, your week ahead. Uh, and you and I will touch, back at, least, at least briefly, uh, the following week. <laughs> exactly right. Happy Easter to you, Jim. Have a good
1: weekend to all of our listeners. The Three Martini Lunch will be in all of next week. I'll be here for the first couple of days. David French will be in for Jim. And until then, have a great weekend and join us Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.